multicultural headquarters of the future capital of the free-thinking states of America known as Los Angeles, this is the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Tonight, our last podcast of 2013, featuring the power of giving one's word, pondering having a family in uncertain times, the wild tale of Krishnamurti, an email from India, the wonders of European migration, hypocrites, white lies, and how Henry David Thoreau's civil disobedience waded through time to become a powerful voice of protest in the hands of some of the 20th century's greatest leaders. And now, asking that you and your friends and neighbors band together to replace every member of the House of Representatives, I am a Rich Evers, and my partner in crime, teacher, fighter, author, poet, an all-around swell guy with a fantastic accent, Daniele Bolelli. Away we go. Well, welcome back, everybody. Episode 31 of the Drunken Taoist Podcast. And let me tell you, it was difficult to get here today. Um, a major cold, cool spell has attacked us here in California. And um, I wasn't even able to roll my window down until at least halfway into the voyage down the PCH today. And it was still a bit chilly when I rolled down the window. Wolves were howling, polar bears were oh, chasing you goodness. down PCH. That's pretty much the way it was. Walruses coming out of the water. Yes. I mean, it was Eskimos hunting whales. He even it's, had to put a sweater on today. I did. But then in the afternoon, it got a little warmer. Of I course. I take it off. But God, freezing. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, without any further delay, Daniele Bolelli. Drunken Taoist Podcast, episode 31, brought to you by Datsusara, with the greatest hemp gear on the planet, from computer bags to... I just got an awesome pair of um, pants, like workout pants, black hemp, beautiful. I love it. Great for martial arts, for yoga, for whatever. I really dug his stuff. Onnit.com, amazing supplements, workout gear special foods you name it again i strongly recommend if you guys work out checking out the kettle the zombie bells that are well i won't even tell you anything about it. just go on it.com check out their stuff because it's brilliant and the short design t-shirts short design for the funkiest wildest greatest t-shirts on earth and i'm happy with I like the fact that all of our sponsors are people I really dig. I love their stuff. I like them as human beings. Well, you haven't seen the notice from Monsanto and Exxon then, have you? Well, in that case, screw that to Sarah, screw on, screw short design. Please give us <laughs> your corporate money. And Monsanto, the greatest all. company on the planet. That would be the day. Are you kidding yeah. me? Dan has kept up kept that up for a long time going off about and people take him seriously they oh, really no. think that he's sponsored I'm sure by Monsanto he gets all the time what are you thinking man I know Monsanto is one of the most evil dangerous corporations in the history of hell and, and you're gonna endorse that and they are but the fact that people take it seriously oh, that, I know. that uh <laughs> that Duncan would be sponsored by them is funny but brought to you by Blackwater yeah in any case Halliburton <laughs> the <laughs> Well, when the end time comes and there is only one corporation, it will be Monsanto Burton. Yeah, that's That will right. be the end time corporation. E, Sony Monsanto Burton. That's probably. scary. Thank you also to our uh, affiliate sponsors, Curacao Chocolate. And I think I'm going to put, uh, there may be an extra discount that I'll put in the episode notes. Maybe we started from this episode. Chocolate season is coming up. So if you guys want to check out some really amazing chocolate. 
and uh, audible.com i always forget to mention that you guys got a freebie if you wanna you know if you wanna just try it out for free for a month you go on audible.com using our uh, uh, in the episode notes i put the, our drunken taoist link as i do with all of our sponsor that's sarah on nature design all of the whole thing you guys get discounts for using the codes with audible you get a free month so you try it you get a free book you like it you keep then you start paying you don't like it you discontinue and you're done uh with anything else so yeah amazon link of course please 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 uh always if you end up shopping on amazon use our link and we'll be eternally grateful to you and the last but not least if you want any of our t-shirts we are actually going to produce some new design at some point in a not too far future but in the meantime we're going to get the um, some of the newer shirts you're going to have the options we still have in stock some of the old ones and we'll get some of the new ones will be made in short design material the much softer version so email me again my email is in the episode notes and i'm just going to stop talking and start the actual episode here we go I'm not changing my plan. I like that. It's too late. Yeah. You know, I. the Pope has... Hi, everybody. The Pope is shaking me again. <laughs> what happened? I may be Catholic before I know it. Technically, I am. I was baptized at one point. Oh, did you see that um, he used to be a bouncer? No. Yeah. Uh, he uh, stated that he used to be a bouncer in a night- nightclub. So he's got no fear roaming amongst the poor of Brazil. Yeah. This is nothing to him. No, he's funny. Is. No, he's just declaring, you know, is it money or people? It's right. time to decide, everybody. Right. And, uh, you know, the rich cats have already decided. Now the rest of us will see what the pushback will be like. So. And then we got the Pope on our side now. It's amazing. Ratzenberger to this cat has been such an amazing shift. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> anyway, I guess it's rant of the daytime, if that's the way we normally do it. Rant of the day. Let's kick it with a couple of things. Um... One that I wanted to throw up. First, I'll, I'll start with a story, and then uh, we'll roll with the bigger point, because we're actually making big points attached to our stories occasionally. They're not answering questions. They're making a better question. I like that. I'll tell you this story. This came to mind the other day. I was um, flashback from my days as a student at UCLA. I was taking this anthropology class. And there was this uh, feminist anthro professor who was going hardcore, making good points about basically attacking, you know, sexy scholars who had these very um, old-time views about gender roles, very negative toward women and all of that. And she goes about, after quoting some of these guys, she's like, and this is the guy who said this, and this is the guy who said this, and basically saying, she made a point of saying, I believe in naming names, you know, people's accountability and all of that. And then she made the mistake of adding, you know, and some people who make these kind of remarks, there are people like that even in my own department. And then she was going to roll on and continue her lecture, and I raised my hand, and I was like, well, you know, since you name names, what? Let's hear a couple. And she turned purple. <laughs> she was just like... Uh, oh, that would be, I guess, a little irresponsible of me. Yeah, a little. I totally let her off the hook. I just told her, you know, I was just messing with you. Don't worry. But in the back of my mind, it's like, you believe in naming names? 
that means of dead people, people who are already gone and naming them is not going to come back to bite you in the ass. That's a little easier. But I believe in naming names, except if they actually hear about it and they... Uh, and <laughs> Let's hear some names, Mr. Snowden. Come on. Yeah. I was like, come on, man. You know what bugged me about that was the fact that stating something, and I totally believe that she believed it. You know, she felt like she names names and she is uh, this pro-accountability person and then the quick running back when she realizes that there are actually consequences for that and that I guess is the theme of the day in that regard um, well, I don't even know but you must be about to talk about this insanity with the Gmail accounts where if you are going to post something uh -huh. you have to identify yourself Oh, no, I, I never saw that. Oh, no, this is yeah. just in the past yeah. couple of weeks. I've got teenagers that are up and ready to burn Google to the ground because how dare they uh, steal uh, their anonymity from them? Right, 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 right. Now, me and you, who know very well about how hateful and horrible people can be anonymously on the Internet. Right. I was like, good. You know, I don't give a shit. Say what you want to say, for sure. I would never belittle any. I would never take that from anybody. Right. Go right ahead. But... Get your damn balls out and say at least who you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's no. not asking too much, is it? No, exactly. And but to me, these millennials are like, whoa, how could you? The internet will fall apart if we're not allowed to hide behind our shields and spew all the bullshit and hate and vile we want to. It's unbelievable. Without the, yeah. No, that's the thing that, that makes perfect sense. And in fact, that's the other side of the story that I didn't think about at all. And what you're saying is dead on. You're right. Absolutely. The part that I was thinking about is the, the people who state something as if these are my core values, these are my beliefs, and they truly mean it, yeah. except that then they don't live up to it. And the hypocrisy of the whole thing, the lack of uh, integrity behind it, rub me wrong. I'll give you an example so it doesn't sound just like some random whine about oh, people should. No, it's not about that. It's about something that actually you or I can do in our own life in terms that does make a difference in interpersonal relationship. Specifically, the whole idea of giving one one word about something, you know, that if I tell you this is the way it's going to be, then you can close your eyes, forget about it, go to sleep, and you know that that is the way it's going to be. If I tell you that something is going to get done. Now, let me specify, giving one's word, meaning the key operative term here, because there are a million things that we say all day, and shit happens, and, you know, there's no... When I say giving one's word, is literally taking time to say, look, I give you my word, this is going to get done. Or I give you my word, this is the way it happened. Or I give you my word, you know, something where I'm specifying, this is not like any other regular communication we're having. This is, I'm putting everything I have on the line to tell you, you can rest assured, there's no issue here. Now, in regular day-to-day -day communication, I have no problem. You know, there are plenty of contexts in which I see line may be appropriate. There are situations where, you know, not only, and not only the what-ifs, you know, what if you were hiding Jews and Nazis come knock on your door? Yeah, of course that. But also there are a million <laughs> other situations where... What if you're trying to get your camera up on the roof? <laughs> you have to be completely honest. Yeah, I mean, there are stuff like that where I have no, or even white lies sometimes where you're just, by the way, I never figure out why the hell they are white. What's about? It's racism. Yeah, freaking, what, what's wrong with the black lies? What's up with that? <laughs> but in any case, the, um, no, the whole, like sometimes somebody is really not ready to hear something 
and you're not doing them a favor by shoving the truth down their throat in a very brutal fashion because the fact is they are not going to be able to handle it. And so you tailor the truth a little bit in a way that... It'll be months till you go to the home, Grandma. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so, I mean, there's that, right? There are contexts in which I... I have no problem with, uh, I'm not saying, oh, goody, goody, you should always tell the truth. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying there's a contest for everything, but precisely because there's a contest for everything, there's also a contest for people who care about you, people that need to be able to trust you, to feel that they can trust you, that if you say the magic words and if you're saying, look, I'm giving you my word about this, there's no ifs or buts, there's no question about... Because that's the thing I hate when people cannot 100% trust each other on some issues is that then somebody tell you something and in the back of your mind you still have to think, hmm, what did they really mean? Did they say it because of that? Did they? I hate that shit. That's so much wasted energy. Or three times ago when he said he'd do that, he didn't do it at all. He didn't even show up, that bastard. I mean, yeah. he was all right last time, but right. is he going to be here this time? Right. So stuff like that drives me insane because ultimately it's about trust right it's about being able and about integrity it's about if you say something and you put an emphasis on it saying i give you my word about it you live up to it if you say these are my values i believe in naming names then you better be sure that that's what you do or keep your mouth shut that's funny too you know if you don't feel that you can live up to those ideas don't say it if you do say it then live up to them it sounds really simple except that hardly anybody does it. And so that to me is, um, you know, if these resonate with you guys, maybe that's how you have lived all your life. Good for you. Maybe that's not how you have lived all your life, but you like it and you decide, hey, that would actually be kind of cool. Hey, start right this second. You know, it's not that, it's really a matter of will, nothing else. And the thing that I love in my experience, in my interpersonal relationships that way, is the feeling when people who trust me, I tell them, look, this is how it is, I give you my word, and I see that any kind of warrior concern or mental energy that was getting wasted inside of them goes poof right away because they know that there is no bullshit about it. Now, of course, you have to prove it time and time again so that people know that when you say it, you mean it. That's why I wouldn't use it lightly. I wouldn't use it as, uh, oh, I give you my word that, and I'm like, that means I'm 75% sure. No, that's not 75% sure. I no, need this to needs be, to be a 98 percenter where, you know, I, I did not realize the meteor was going to hit the city that day. Basically, that's about the only circumstance <laughs> allowed where you say, okay, there were other issues. Otherwise, if you say it, that's it. You know, it's like, shit, I had situations where it, it became even weird. Like, I remember I was once in this relationship with this... Um, woman who knew she was a pain in the ass and um, she you know sometimes she would go into these crazy rants and we would go back and forth at the end of it she's like man I don't know how you tolerate me he's like sometime I can see how I could get under your skin I'm like no you're great and I'm like dying there right but you know he's like at one time kind of fun partially as a joke partially not but she asked me would you ever could you ever conceive of a scenario in which you would ever hit me? Now, there's no fucking way I would ever hit her, right? They're just not, it's not going to happen. But when uh, she was like playing with me, she's like, can you give me your word? I was like, 
well, let me think about it for a second, because obviously it's not something I would do. But when I give you my word, there are not going to be any exceptions. You know what I'm saying? So even something that is 99.99% unsure that that's the scenario, I want to make 101% sure because I'm like, so there was the qualifier, you know, if you come at me with a knife, I may hit you. Yes. If you, you know, that kind of qualifiers, yeah. but other than that, no, of course not. But, and then I can give you my word once we got the qualifiers. But the point being, when you say it, it's a done deal to the point that I use the samurai image, you know, like in traditional samurai story, if you fail at your task, you grab a nice short sword, you stick it inside your abdomen, you twist from side to side, and that's your way of saying, I'm sorry, I messed up. I shouldn't have, you know? That, to me, is how seriously I take that thing. Now, I'm not advocating that if you fuck up once, that's what you need to do, because, but at the same time, I wouldn't even discount it, meaning I would take it with that level of seriousness. You have to feel that when you put your word into something, your life is on the line and there's just no damn way that you can ever fall short or you should shoot yourself. Again, I don't mean necessarily shoot yourself, literally take it as a metaphor, but with that level of seriousness, you know, with that level of, um, the thing that drives me absolutely insane is when there's that gap between the values that people espouse and how serious they are about it and it's their whole life except that then the reality doesn't match up. I'll give you an example that drive me insane. Well, many of them drive me insane. It's all the same issue, so it could be one or another, but take the example of monogamy. You know, one of the classic things that people lie about or because they'll say something, the sacredness of monogamy, this pact, this union, this merging of soul, blah, 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 right? And then the percentage of people cheating is crazy high. And I don't mean cheating as in you have an open relationship. That's different. Everybody agree on it. So that's totally fine by me. I'm saying you say one thing and then you do another. No, we are going to be totally monogamous, except that that one is really hot. So sorry about that. That was, uh, but no, I strongly believe in monogamy. Look, if you don't live up to it, you don't believe in it. It's stuff that you tell yourself because it makes you feel good to think that you believe in it. You don't really believe in it or you wouldn't talk that way plain and simple. And if you don't want to believe in it, then live accordingly, you know, go for an open relationship. That's totally cool either. The thing that bugs me about it is when I find monogamy philosophically plain stupid, it just makes no sense to me. I'm like, monogamy, that's just crap. But at the same time, if I do get into a relationship and the initial talk is, hey, what's your take on it? And the rules of the game are, look, if you want to be in a relationship with me, it has to be monogamous. Now I have a choice there, right? I can say, no, I want to live by different values, in which case we shake hands and that's been fun, but no, I can't go there. Or if I decide to play by those rules, even if they are not my rules, then I'm going to respect them because I give my word. I hate the stuff of all the people who say that those are those values and then they don't live up to it. Those are not even my values and I live up to them. You know what I mean? It's like, it just, yeah. And, uh, and it really boiled down to this idea of integrity, to the fact that if you say something, it means something that when you look into somebody's eyes and say, look, I'm going to get this done no matter what, you know that it's no matter what. It doesn't mean that some, ex again, the meteor, fine, we allow you the meteor, but other than the meteor, <laughs> you know, nothing else holds. Right. There's, or 
about feelings, about what you meant, about all of that stuff. You know, you can have regular communication, which include your white lies, or you can have the moment of clarity when you just say it, and then everybody around you can stay assured that there's no possible way that you didn't mean every single comma in your sentence, you know, where everything means exactly as, as you said it. But if we didn't have an ocean of hypocrisy, wouldn't the world stop spinning? I don't know. I think it... Uh, I know Congress would. We would probably... Yeah, when there's that. But we would probably... The leftover energy that we have not to wonder about what did they really mean when they said that... Uh, could be focused on awesome shit. things. Yeah, you could have so much more energy. It's relaxing. It's really freaking damn relaxing to be able to know that when somebody tells you something, they mean it. When you say something, you mean it. It's beautiful. It well, feels... it's less bullshit to keep track of, too. And what did I tell that son of a bitch about? Oh, no, here he is. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then usually that another lie will pop on top of that to cover that one. And now you've got a whole web going. And... Yeah. Oh. I had the... Oh, sorry. Go no, ahead. no, I was just going to say, definitely everybody, let's, let's relax a little bit more and just be straight with each other and uh, let the whole day go by easier. If nothing else, with people you love. Oh, you definitely. Know what, you know, the cop who's trying to bust you for whatever, lie your ass off. I have no problem with that. But, you know, when it comes to people you love, people who give you their trust, people who are nice to you, Jesus, man, that's where your integrity lies. If you can't behave exactly as you mean in those contexts, then you're really a sorry excuse for a human being. And that just, and again, who cares about the past? Uh, what you have done up until this second whatever is up you leave from this second forward that counts and in that regard is like if you feel like because somebody who is a sorry excuse of a human being is never gonna feel that sorry it's gonna just glide right over if somebody did screw up and then they realize shit they're really not the way i want to live then change right now and that person is gone and you're somebody else who's better than you were before there's our friend the reset button again yeah precisely i had that actually i had this experience Unlike the anthro lady who believes in naming names, I don't necessarily <laughs> believe in naming names. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not, so I allow myself the flexibility. I want in this scenario, but I had not too long ago an experience with somebody who's all big about his principles and, uh, you know, integrity is all about that stuff, completely and blatantly falling short, telling me one thing, leading me on one thing, and completely back, backing out of it. It's a weird feeling. Like when that happens, I don't even get mad for me. I don't even feel like what a horrible thing you have done that's screwed up. Poor me. I feel sorry for you. I just feel like, really? That's how, you know, you hurt me in the process, whatever. I'm a custom. I don't care. But the stuff you just did to yourself in doing that, that's just so sad. And it makes me feel a mix of sadness, contempt, just what a waste kind of feeling. I think there was, I'm going to completely fuck up the quote because I can't remember it, but there's a Friedrich Nietzsche quote that goes along the lines of, uh, um, he said something along the lines like, I'll forgive you for what you did to me, but how can I forgive what you just did to yourself? You know, where there's that notion of, uh, ew, really, that's the person you chose to be? and you look like yeah, there was so much more man that's so sad for you really me i'm fine you know whatever you know you bug me so but 
you cause me whatever minor emotional pain that I'll quickly forget about and whatever. I don't, you know, it's not about me on the receiving end. It's about you and what kind of a human being that makes you. I, I, I feel I got to mention because Nelson Mandela passed away about what, six days ago. Mm-hmm. Um, when he came out of prison, he stopped the civil war by forgiving the people that had him in prison for over almost 30 years. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah, I don't think I would be that good. I think I'm... Um, I don't think so either. I'm um, sadly big on vengeance. So um, I watched Conan the Barbarian multiple times when I was eight years old. Revenge, it's what it's all about. Grant me revenge. Well, it's funny. I did a couple of movies. One about Rwanda and one about um, the Palestinian situation. Mm-hmm. And in both of those, there people have unbelievable levels of forgiveness in them. Yeah. Like, that somehow they can see it. Oh, okay, you killed my children. Um, yeah, if you can pull it off, I don't. I mean, it's not even good or bad. It's and, like, and what I was going to say is, I don't think that switch can even come on until you've suffered something so horrific, and that there's so much rage burning inside of you that it's burning you up. Right. I think everything's different at that point. Because yeah. I'm with you. I'm like you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, we're going like, to even the score on this one, buddy. Don't, right. don't worry about that. Yeah. How was it? Um, the dictate the Roman dictator Sulla from way back, like 2,000 plus years ago, had on his epitaph that he wrote himself before dying was, uh, uh, again, I'm going to go by memory, so I don't remember the exact words, but something along the lines of uh, um, every friend who has uh, granted me favors and every enemy who wronged me, I more than repaid each one. <laughs> I was like, damn. That's a little intense. That is pretty intense. Yeah. That's better than told you I was sick. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so there's that. So giving your sword, be a good samurai, learn how to do that and mean it. And, man, what a difference that makes in the relationship with people who are close to you, that it really just changes everything. And uh, if people can't see it, well, then they are their own person. for a visit into Bellelli's dream time. I had a crazy one last night where I was, um, it was a high school reunion-esque thing, uh-huh. and I was in the other school's colors. Ooh. And it was twisted and crazy. Somebody let hornets loose, and I really had to pee. I think that's why I knew about it. <laughs> One of those ones is just, this urinal is just not satisfying my urge to piss. You know, it's funny. Not the piss part, but the um, feeling dressed wrong for the occasion, I guess, is precisely where I was with my dream. So interesting you bring that up. See, it's all chained together. It's dream time, everybody. Get ready. Now, we have unveiled the the, uh, the orgasm counting gnome. Did he revisit for any possibility or not in dreams? But after your lovely wife gave me as a gift this <laughs> micro statue of the orgasm counting gnome with even a bell. By the way, I was confused originally because it doesn't have the pointy red hat, which I will have to add. So I was like, "Is that an elf? Is that a fat Santa?" You know, he's a drinker. He lost the hat. Yeah, probably gambling. If you know him. Yeah, looking at him was interesting because. The gnome from my dream, the orgasm counting gnome in my dream was like this 
Swiss, I don't know why I use, by the way, if you guys are Swiss, apologies for the stereotypes, but you know, it's like the stereotype of the Swiss disciplined accountant who takes very seriously, adds all the zero in the right point and is keeping track of the books. He approached the orgasm counting job in somewhat of a joyless manner, just very methodical. That's very, just terrible. Yes. So <laughs> this guy, on the other hand, the one you guys gave me, he looks like he's getting as much action as the couples he's observing. No question. He's very... He's happy. a self-server for sure. He's happy and jolly, and he has been promptly put to work, by the way, as <laughs> you were wondering. Excellent. That's what I figured. The bell was probably already broken is where I was going. That's part of the problem. He's now demanding that I pay him overtime and complaining about the fact that um, as, his emplo- as his employer, I have currently given in carpal tunnel syndrome to do, due to repetitive motion of the ringing of the bell they try that shit all the time you look he's that's all got to go through the gnome union anyway so I see. that has nothing to do with you you're not employing him he's doing a task that's been assigned to him by others they try that trick all the time good to know you I'm see glad. that on late night uh, tv a lot too is your arm hurt from ringing bell too much call slick larry and he'll fix it for you it's just a scheme everybody oh, don't fall for it god that those could be nightmares gnomes Gnome lawyers. Oof. Just little tiny hats coming up to the table and a big giant briefcase. We're here, Your Honor. Scary as hell. Gnome this bastard, lawyers. you should see, just by himself, 15 in a day. Yeah, I can't be ringing like that. That's. I'm going to have nightmares about this. <laughs> Hopefully not. Well, the dream that I did have, actually, was not really a nightmare. It actually turned out to be fairly funny. I was... Um, I remember to a feeling of embarrassment, which I imagine there's that element in your dream of uh, being dressed wrongly for the occasion. I was lecturing, I was teaching class, I was sitting on the table, and uh, as I'm lecturing, I realize that I have no pants. Excellent. I'm just in my underwear and stuff, and I have uh, socks and underwear and no pants. You know, the logical place where a normal person mind would go would be frantically looking for pants or something to put on instead my solution to my dilemma and embarrassment of the situation was in removing my socks once i was only in underwear that it was all good when i was in underwear and socks that just looked goofy so you know i have no pants i shouldn't have socks either and then i kept teaching fairly happily and everything was fine well in santa monica that makes perfect sense dude <laughs> so i can understand with the socks being on and your nads not properly cooled with the pants would create a bit of a drafting issue and with the socks removed you could just get on with teaching dude i have done uh, a santa monica college in particular when uh, some summers when i was teaching when it was brutally hot they had no air conditioning oh. they had one tiny fan that if you put it on Nobody hears a word of what you're saying because it covers the noise and it doesn't really do much anyway. So I remember going to teach in my flip-flops in like beach shorts and uh, in a tank top. And that was uh, my proper lecturer outfit. I, and um, completely completely accepted, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, students, what do they care? Um, they don't. I'm sure, you know, other people would have something to say about it, but students, they think it's funny and they're cool and it's it's all good. We're both imports out here to Los Angeles, but I think it, I find it hysterical this week where it has dipped into the 30s. Yeah. That you would think that the end of time was coming. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. folks searching for an ice scraper for the tiniest, thinnest veil of uh, frost that looks like little snowflakes dancing across as a doily yeah. more than any ice coverage is hysterical. It is. And to hear them bitch and whine about it being cold when it's 11 somewhere is just 
Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, this is not really cold. <laughs> There's a lot of thin blood out here. Yeah, seriously. It's easy to get spoiled by the weather out <laughs> it, it here. It absolutely is. You get used to it pretty quick. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, you know. Anyway. But on the teaching part, I guess one thing that was funny was um, a few times real-life events that have taken place that don't involve me removing my pants while teaching, but they do involve, like, I guess the weirdest teaching experiences. Once I was, um, I was teaching early afternoon classes and then i had a big gap and i had a night class and in the big gap i had some friends invited me over to their house and they started pouring wine and uh, having dinner but i'm like ah, no big deal it was right next to campus so i figured i didn't even have to drive i could walk turns out i misjudged my ability to handle my drink so i wasn't drunk because i wasn't i was still at it together but i was definitely buzzed and so I remember walking back into class and, you know, from the outside, it all looks normal. I'm walking perfectly fine. I, every word I say flows. It's on topic. It's everything. Inside my brain, I'm laughing my ass off. It's like, and then Kissinger, and I'm thinking it's like the funniest thing in the universe. And I'm talking about U.S. foreign, U.S. history was never that much fun. I had <laughs> a blast. The only part where I slightly gave it away, well, no, I slightly gave it away when I opened my lecture saying I'm drunk. But other than that, the only other scenario where uh, it could have showed up was in, in the middle of class, it's a three-hour class, so last forever at night you give them a break 10 15 minutes whatever and i just i sat down i look at them i put my head down on the table and i wrap my arms on it and i just passed out for 10 minutes and all i could hear was like damn how much did you drink i'm like i just lifted my thumb up said he was all good and then exactly at the end of the break like nothing happened i was back up lecturing made you know total flow no problem so i wasn't really drunk but i was buzzed enough to make the whole experience quite memorable on that note remember kids buzzed teaching is drunk teaching so it's time for <laughs> us to delve inside the digital mailbag and have a look at ask Bolelli. who we who have we been contacted by this week we have Mason ask regarding the philosophy of Alan Watts and Krishnamurti. So Alan Watts, I really dug Alan Watts. I grew up reading a ton of his stuff when I was a kid. Uh, I was like in my teens, I was swallowing every other book by Alan Watts. Like I would literally drink it up. And um, yeah, there are so many. There are so many really good ones. Um, Alan Watts, what was great about him is that he helped translate some Taoist and Zen ideas into a language that would be a little more accessible to Westerners. I remember when I very first time I read the Tao Te Ching, I read it in, um, I guess the translation wasn't that good, but also I was probably not quite ready to just go cold turkey into the Tao Te Ching, and it just made no sense to me. Right? There was nothing I liked about it. There was just, it didn't click. After reading Alan Watts, things started clicking a lot better. I was able to see Mm, looking at the originals and see how even in some monosyllabic translations that don't leave a whole lot of room for you know Alan Watts in many ways sort of gently open the door for you to start being able to see some of these ideas and put them in a context in a language that we can understand and relate to better now I have tried you ever read Alan Watts uh-huh. never yeah he's good he's uh, there's a book called uh, Tao the Watercourse Way that was pretty cool 
one called The Spirit of Zen was very nice. But I read the Tao Pu one time. <laughs> right. Not Alan Watts, no. but the, um, like a lot of this stuff. Um, funny that you mentioned, by the way, I just checked the Tao Pu not too long ago. Somebody asked me about it, so I was checking it out. It's acceptable. And uh, Yeah. No, I mean, I think is again, it's like to me, anything that makes something click in a way that you can get something you couldn't get before, I'm all for it. It's funny about Alan Watts now because I've been recommending it to people and then I was, um, somebody recommended it to got back to me and they were like, eh, can't quite get into it. And I'm like, what do you mean you can get into it? It's awesome. And then I picked it up again and I'm like, oh, I totally see what you mean. <laughs> I got into it because I was a little nerd. So there was a whole very philosophical language and all of that that Alan Watts is heavy into that I had no problem with. But it's not exactly a um, we are sitting at a bar chatting kind of language. You know, there's a lot of uh, elements that are, if you read a lot of philosophical stuff. So a lot then of referential, well, according to. Not even that. He's, he's way better. He's not a scholar, you know. He's way better than that kind of crap, which is boring. And he does a good job, but he's, um, he's a British dude who grew up, I forget when, but he grew up, you know, earlier part of the 1900s when he was born. He, um, I forget the exact timing, but he writes in a way that's a bit dated today. And I don't mean it as a slant on him because I love Alan Watts. I mean, just it doesn't, if I was to try to convey the same idea today, I would put them in a very different kind of language. Uh, that's all. But overall, I think he's amazing. He has done great stuff. There's a lot of his work. Is There's recordings of him on the internet, isn't there? I'm sure yeah. I've listened to some of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And those may be slightly more accessible in the sense that, uh, you know, he has a live audience. He's chatting. He's still a little nerdy, still, you know, but but as also as he has good sense of humor. He's a fun guy. He's, uh, so I dug Alan Watts. You know, I really, I think he did an awesome job in terms of being able to put some ideas that may be a bit too tough to sink your teeth into if you have never been exposed to them before into a language that's better than uh, you would be uh, otherwise. I still think that more can be done, which is part of the reason why I wanted to do the, um, the lectures about Taoism, which will be releasing probably in a couple of months or something. Because so many people ask me about Taoism and it's like, oh, I want to recommend this one book. And there's never one book that I can recommend saying this is it. There are a bunch of books that are good, where there's good material there. But there's not one thing that I feel 100% comfortable, where I'm like, the language is on, the concepts are on, everything is great. So I feel that he... For me to be comfortable with it, I mean, almost I would have to do it. And not because I think it's going to be the best thing ever, it's because I'm going to be comfortable with it, you know. So if I'm going to recommend it, I know I mean it. <laughs> Whereas with other stuff is, and again, some of you guys may dig it and it clicks with you and some of you, it, it doesn't. And that's totally fine. But the point is, most of everything else that exists about Taoism out there, I like anywhere from 10 to 75%. And so there's always that something that leaves me. Uh, there's it could be done a little different. So that's part of the reason why. Again, it's not a these guys don't do a good job. These guys do a great job in their own way. And so it depends on how you are made. You either click with it or you don't. Well, it's such a massive topic, you know. Yeah. It's not you know how many books are there about World War Two? Right. Yeah. No, Thousands. Exactly. You know? Absolutely. And I think it's still a narrower concept than 
what you're trying to get your hands around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, but overall, yeah, I recommend this stuff. I think it's good. And um, what's a fairly wild life. He was a crazy character in a lot of ways. And um, yeah, nothing but good things in that regard. Krishnamurti is a wild one too. Um, that's a crazy story in itself. He, when he was a when he was a kid, he was picked by this one. Um, I don't want to call it cult because it's not really cult, but you know, some kind of religious organization that um, made a part of people from India, and then a lot of people were into Indian stuff from uh, the UK, from places like that. They picked him as uh, the Messiah, basically. He was recognized early on as he's the master teacher who's going to bring enlightenment to the masses. Well, and of course of I am. Yeah. What would you like to know? <laughs> that's what's interesting Did about... Did you bring anything to drink? That's what's interesting about Krishnamurti, right? He grows up with that, handed to him on a golden platter, <laughs> where <laughs> they give him castle in Switzerland. These guys, I guess, were not short of money, so they give him castles in Switzerland, forest with lakes as private stuff, you know, all of that. What could possibly go wrong? Right. I would have a very hard time saying, no, I'm not the one. <laughs> I think, I think you mean my neighbor. And that's exactly what Krishnamurti does. They say, well, I appreciate all the, you guys, all the faith you guys put in me, but you guys are crazy. <laughs> this is not going to... And I mean, really? <laughs> they give you that kind of role? Was this you, day one, or did he taste it for a few years before you finally said, you know, I think you got the wrong guy? He tasted as a kid. You know, oh, okay. But so by the was, time he was... I forget exactly how old, but uh, he was still... A, he was not an old guy. He was still a, an adult, but relatively young. He said, no thanks. Wrong fella. Not wrong. And not only wrong fella, but there's no such a thing. <laughs> He's basically started arguing. The bulk of his entire message becomes, if you are looking for the guru, if you are looking for the master, if you are looking for the messiah, you are sadly deluded. Because, and his, you know, his old message is one of self-reliance and about no one can do it for you but you. And, um, you know, easy to say if you, well, actually, it's not even to, easy to say in any context, but it's easier to say when you don't have the castle in Switzerland and the lake that they give you as the Messiah. He renounced all that, saying, no, the whole concept is wrong. It's a way for individuals to give away their power to some kind of authority figure out there, which is the exact opposite of what real spirituality should be about. Real spirituality should be about you discovering it for yourself, working on a journey you can work with other people you can trade ideas but so krishnamurti whole rant is against uh, is almost an anarchist approach to spirituality just going flat out against this idea of authority in spirituality which is so big right the whole guru industry the whole enlightened master the whole all of that crap that's what krishnamurti rails against and he does a really good job at it and he was absolutely loved by Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee actually fed, philosophically, he fed heavily on both of those guys. Anna Watts and Krishnamurti were his main things. Um, Krishnamurti for this iconoclastic, anti-authority aspect, and Anna Watts for whole, the whole interpretation of Taoism and so on. The, um, so this is, um, yeah, both of those guys are fun to check out. Good with that one. Let's roll to something else. Several questions from Nicandro from Mexico. Hola. A couple of questions, actually. One is a key one, is a good, good one. In regarding the idea, discussion with his father, I guess, about 
his father recommending get your act together eat shit and pay the bills and uh, which is obviously makes sense at the same time there's the element of don't take chances don't risk anything you have some wild dreams well that's sweet on the weekend for your free time but you know real maturity is about paying the bills working hard and if you if you hate it well tough luck just grind through and it's all gonna work out in the end it's easy to take sides on this because it's like the dreamy risk-taking heartfelt approach versus the serious materialistic get your act together approach the reality is that they both make sense they both have their own aspect to it when you take either one to the extreme you're screwed yes because you end up like the happy burnout dropout guy was you know sweet but also completely cut off from having any impact in the world on anyone other than the three people you run into because of everything he failed to get from not having any of the other side of the argument precisely you got to sit right in the pocket in the middle boy and let me tell you i'll argue this one to the end of time because you're exactly correct uh-huh. you got to have elements of both yeah yes it sucks to wait tables uh-huh. yes it sucks to shovel shit but it's also important for you you know going on what we said earlier in the rant to establish yourself as somebody who can be counted on, mm-hmm. and yeah, the job ain't great, and yeah, the pay ain't great, but you show up for four months in a row. Yeah, and I mean, the thing is, because at the end of the day, bills need to be paid, yeah. right? Stuff need to get done. And if you like electricity. Right, precisely. So it's good to be realistic about things, where you know you don't just, it's all gonna work out, I'm gonna take three years off traveling and writing my novels, and eventually somehow along the way I'll make a living. If you do, good for you, because that's awesome. That's clearly, I'm not saying it's a bad idea because anything that involves following a vision, obviously I'm sympathetic to, but at the same time, do it in such a way that is not totally suicidal. In a, I'm just gonna jump off the cliff, I have no plan, and it should work out. It's like, well, you know, yeah, sweet. I, I much rather see you do that than somebody who's all whining and complaining about how hard it is and how, you know, I admire the guts of it. So given a choice between extremes, I take that extreme any day. But at the same time, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be, I'm going to starve, follow my vision, or I'm going to do some crappy job forever and then have fun for three hours every weekend here and there. You know, is you can have an element where, I mean, the, start, the simple starting point is this. If you can't figure out what you can do to make money that make you happy, if you can't find a career, a job, or whatever that pays for you to do something you enjoy doing, get the stupid stuff that you need to get to pay the bills and use every freaking second of your free time like you're on a mission. And your mission is to find create alternatives to that. Create alternatives that pay. Something that embodies who you are and at the same time it pays off so again it's not a either you have to say no to it all and starve and hope for the best or you have to because the reality is that trying to figure it out while you're hungry when there's no food on the table when there's that's really freaking hard as well yeah the key though is keep that focus because it's very easy for people who start accepting the fact taking some slave labor where you're like i'm gonna do this crap that i hate but at least it's paying me and all of that is very easy to become complacent where you leave all your energy at work by the time you're done all you want to go is i'm just gonna go home and catch the reruns of friends for five hours and it's like that means you're never gonna get out your whole time 
free time need to be spent making escape plans and building those escape plans and working at it and having fun in the meantime but you know that if that's your goal that's what you got to do so i'm totally in favor of both you know you need to have a realistic aspect that covers the bills and you need to have an escape plan unless you want to be a slave forever so i don't think he's an either or thing and i think he's somebody even like in a conversation this is a typical you know parents kids conversation right but if you are the quote-unquote kid in this situation and kid could be from anywhere from 15 year old to 14 this or actually probably even more (laughs) this conversation can last forever (laughs) you know but the thing is if you are in that role i think the other person may a understand you better respect you better and feel a little reassured if you show that you're not just the polar opposite of them but that you do have a sense of the priorities they are talking about you do respect them but you do show that there can be another way to go about it I think that's the balanced way to approach this kind of stuff. Otherwise, you end up being stereotypes. And most people, of course, do end up being stereotypes, and they do end up in the work at some shitty job forever that you hate or just go crazy and live on two dimes a day while, you know, neither one is uh, leads too far. The only thing there's no room for is laziness. Yeah. That... Okay, I did my 30 hours at my shitty job, but that was so hard that yeah. I don't have any time to do what I like anywhere, which is fucking horseshit. Yeah. Cut down on your sleep. I know we're a nation of sleepless zombies, but if it's really what you want to do, then you should be happy to do it. Maybe not 10 minutes after you get off work, but at least a couple hours, a few times a week. should be focused on, this is what I really dig, you know? Should if be. it's art, there should be paintings everywhere. No. And no excuse for there not to be, even if you don't have all day, every day. I know this, I've been hanging around people I like, and I see them, they come home from work, and they sit down, and they watch TV, and they have a blast, they are watching, they are chatting, they are drinking, they're having a party, it all looks fun, and it is fun, they're having a good time. There's an element of me that feels like, shit, I like that. And, you know, maybe giving that to myself once a month would not be a bad idea. At the same time, I'm like the exact opposite, I'm done and I'm working on, okay, there are those 15 books I want to work on, and there's that other thing, and there's that, I'm like project after project after project. If it's me, it's good. At the same time, it's not exactly relaxing in a sense, so it's good to also find some kind of a balance there. But to me, is if you are on a quest, you're on a quest. If you're on a mission, you're on a mission. You're not fucking around, you know. You're, if you mean it, if it's such a big deal for you to be able to carve for yourself a niche doing something you love, man, you're going to spend not exactly every minute of the day once you get out of work, but close. Because, you know, if work takes already X amount of hours, you need X amount of hours for sleep and food, then the remaining hours are not at all. Now, they're not that little either. You probably have like five, six hours in a day that between working out or working on a project. But when you add them up, you know, two hours one day, three hours another, you can end up easily with like 15, 20 hours a week that to work on a project not yeah. even that's not adding the time spent sleeping eating working out you know just the time for working on a project that's a lot of freaking time that's a lot of especially time. if you add it up over a year yeah hundreds of hours you spent on what you're trying to chase yep you know cut that five hour friends-a-thon down to an hour absolutely maybe we don't get totally sauced no exactly do your little thing to feel good really? and have your get relaxation your reset, but then go back into battle. Absolutely. I can't encourage that enough. So yep. Those are the grindstone, young people. Big. And old young people that can't make up your damn minds about anything. 
<laughs> That's right. Two questions that are very much related. Um, one from Claire, the Nicandro was at part two of his question, and they're kind of dealing with the same issue in some way, which is about the future and you know how to deal with an uncertain future. Um, how not to let the fact that in some cases the future can look gloomy or scary or all of that affect you in a negative way. Claire in particular asked a question that's a little more specific in this regard. Say, for both of us, since we both mentioned our kids and they come up at the topic of conversation a lot and the source of something that makes us happy, something that's, say, well, what about people who are born past the 1980s the world has changed to some degree is there is it really a wise idea to have kids in a world that seems to be going down the drain there's this idea of um, um is it is it ultimately just a thing of selfishness that you just have one to have you know little miniature mini me are running out there because the world you are putting them is a kind of a suckier world in which in terms of uh, environmental issue, in terms of politics, in terms of a lot of things tend to be sliding in a dangerous direction. What's your take on uh, procreation, I guess? So that's the more specific one. The more general one that Einstein Nikandra was asking was about dealing with an uncertain future that is sort of the bigger theme. Well, they thought the world was going to end when the crossbow was invented. <laughs> right. You know, all this armor is not worth a shit now. How can we possibly defend anything anymore? Or you live through the Black Plague that probably yeah, you know, gave they, uh, they probably were a little worried about it. I mean, you and I grew up with the constant specter of nuclear destruction at any moment. Right. And... Um, it's funny. It does look gloomy for sure. I mean, the global warming thing and watching the mm-hmm. watching the the glaciers melt is scary, and the ocean being empty is terrifying. But at the same time, it's always something. Yeah. And I don't know. Just from my point of view, the the, the joy that my children have brought to me so over I, the second my first son popped out, everything changed in me at that moment. And I think you get completely rewired. This whole focus of you being number one vanishes forever. Mm-hmm. And you become this almost servant that I give a shit not about myself anymore. All I care about is the betterment of these people that you know I help create. Right. And I think that's something that we're probably put here to experience. Yeah, because, I mean, ultimately, I agree with you 100%. Ultimately, the thing, there's never been a good time. No. You know, it's like if you look at... And now it's not really that bad. If you look like poverty around the world is getting better, AIDS is getting under control, malaria we're finally waking up to. I mean, there are things, especially if you're really on the bottom rung of things, where we are seemingly... It's always a mixed bag, to say the least. Because, yes, it's true that, as you say, there are some things you can look at, feel better about, and other things are like, damn, we're doomed because we've screwed up so oh, many yeah. things so the bad. The ocean that, terrifies me. I right. think I think a lot of people are going to starve because we were sloppy with our management oh, of the oceans. There's no no doubt. question about that. No doubt. I mean, a billion or two, very possibly. So with that in mind, the reality, though, is that there's never been a good time because it certainly was not a good time at the dawn of human history where the odds of being eaten by a leopard in the middle of the night were pretty high. (laughs) It was not a good time in the middle of the Black Plague. It was not a good time in the middle of most of human history. Anybody who's born, you're throwing a dice because the odds of horrible shit happening somewhere along the way are high. You know, there's a lot of possible... It's always been that way, and it will always be that way. There's just no... I don't think there's ever going to be a time when it's like, 
ah, we can just relax and it's all, let's just enjoy the party. You know, the very nature of life is highly unstable, messy, chaotic, scary, dangerous. Dancing on the edge of a knife the whole time. And ultimately everybody dies. And everybody loses. Right, exactly. So in that regard, the this idea of dealing with uncertainty, dealing with possible negative situation is absolutely true. You are you are dealing with them. You're dealing with them today. You have been dealing them with them throughout human history. So I'm not saying everybody should have kids because I get the point. I can see how, you know, maybe you feel, particularly today with overpopulation, maybe somebody say, you know what, I don't feel like adding too many mouths to feed. To I can get it, you know, I understand. And in that case, maybe you do have a big... Uh, I want to be a parent, but you don't want to, you know, you want to adopt. Sure, that makes sense. You know, all of that stuff makes sense. And so I, I'm not judging negatively any of those arguments, but I feel that to me it's, um, you've always taken a gamble. You'll always take a gamble. And if you feel it strong enough in you that that's something you care about, that is a big deal, take it anyway. Because the gamble is, um, and again, maybe not take it anyway if you are on the brink of starvation yourself. And, or if you're 15. Uh, right. So that may not be the... Um, that's hey, not the moment. Hey, my mom had me at 17. Come I on. Guess it's, it's, it's 15. <laughs> that's right. I was okay. going to go to 14 because of that. Thank you very much. But Gotcha. But uh, yeah, you know, so that's my take on it. It's not that I would dismiss the concerns. I think the concerns are very real and they make sense. About this business of uncertainty, the... Um, I'm going to read you guys something. I'll put the link in the episode notes if you can catch every word through my perfect British pronunciation. And um, I actually will go into it another time, but I honestly don't hear my accent. I think you guys are all fucking with me because I speak perfect English and you're all just messy with me. But We're just used to it and we like it. Yeah, no, I hear it when I hear a recording that I'm like, damn, what a fob. But when I speak, it's like I hear it through my ears right now. I sound like a perfect american sounding in any case i read you guys this thing that is exactly on the topic of dealing with uncertainty dealing with fear dealing with all of that here we go in the beginning was fear the fear that everything that has a body experiences once it realizes we live in a predatory universe a universe in which absolutely everything gets to be eaten if not by the sharp fangs of a predator than by time itself. And fear became our god, and it began to rule over our lives, shrink our willingness to dare, and rob us of the beauty of it all. Fear is written in the deepest layer of our DNA. You can't run away from it, you can't escape it. It's so pervasive that plenty of people try to exorcise the demon. Religions, philosophies, advertisements, motivational speakers, they all tell you if you make the jump and follow their cure, you'll no longer have anything to fear. They tell you that there are no monsters hiding under your bed. They promise you safety from everything you fear. They promise you a sense of empowerment. They promise you victory against all odds. The reality is that they're all trying to sell you something. The monster is indeed under your bed after all. The reality is that you have every good reason to be afraid because everything you fear is on your tracks right now and will eventually catch up to you and destroy everything you loved and everything you are. Welcome to the world, motherfuckers. So why not afraid? Would it be more appropriate to say scared shitless and rightfully so? Because being scared doesn't help you. Reality is uglier and harsher than anything we like to admit to ourselves. 
and yet it's pointless to be scared, since your fear will not protect you. Fear is only useful if it alerts you of a danger you can avoid. But if there's no possible way to avoid it, if it's inevitable that it will crush you no matter how hard you fight, then what's the point of being afraid? If you have no hope of survival, what's left to be afraid of? The only thing you'll succeed in doing is in spoiling this very second when the forces that will destroy you haven't stepped on the stage yet. Yes, you will not get here out of here alive, but so what? All the more reasons to celebrate right here and right now. Let's pop the champagne before whole hell breaks loose. Squeeze every last ounce of orgasmic ecstasy from the present moment. And when the monster finally clamps out from under your bed, at least you'll have a good reason to smile before he devours you. You're already dead. Let's have a party in the meantime. There is an odd chance that I actually may have read this before, in which case, hopefully this is a good reminder for you guys. That would be a Bellelli's Greatest Hit recap. Yeah, it could be. I think I may have mentioned this when talking about Duncan way early on. In yeah, like when, some when of you the read the end, it does feel a bit familiar. Yeah, I think it is, but... But we did talk about champagne earlier, too, so I don't know. And I think I have a cooler voice now. I'm just yeah, speaking deeper, absolutely. so... <laughs> Sorry if this is a repeat to you, but I don't think it's a bad repeat because it makes a point that I have to remind myself on a daily basis. You know, this kind of thing is I fall for it constantly. I go back to being like, I want everything under their control and everything has to be safe and I want to survive. I want to. And the fact is, well, I want a lot of things, but so what? You know, they're not going to come. They're not going to pan out. I'm going to have, you know, whatever much time I have to play with them, but that's. At the end of the day, you don't control them. So this idea of giving up this very natural and understanding addiction to fear is a key one that shit, I feel like I need to reread this thing every single day just to remind myself of it and be back in contact with it. So that's my long-winded apology if I read it to you twice already. But um, so there was that in regard to uncertain futures and i guess we'll keep some questions for next time all right we're zipping up the digital mailbag and uh as always email our hero any question you have b-o-d-h-i-1974 at yahoo.com there you have it Well, the music can tell you only one thing, that it's indeed story time, everybody, brought to you by our pals and friends at Shirt Design T-Shirts, because if there's one thing you want to be wearing when it's story time, it's one of those incredibly soft, funky, cool Shirt Design T-Shirts. Yeah, you can start groping yourself. I'm doing it right now, and I don't even have the right shirt on. I wish I had the right shirt on. Yeah. I'll have to amend that. But yeah, the gods of t-shirts will bless us with this story. Definitely check it out, guys. Especially, I guess this one's a late, little bit late for Christmas. But uh, for your New Year's festivals, it's not just t-shirts either. It's cool dresses. It's mm-hmm. all kinds of the Ganesh prints are always awesome. Mm-hmm. There's a thousand different things to look at. So check them out. They're always putting something new up. And uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully the awesome robot collection will be available for us at some point in the future. Nice. Anyway, story time. Here we go. Our story spanned through about a century or so and uh, involves three different characters. Let's start with Mr. Henry David Thoreau, Mm -hmm. the author of Walden. That's what he's most famous for. The other thing that Thoreau wrote, well, he wrote a few, but one thing that he did write that um, will have a huge impact on human history is um, a little booklet called Civil Disobedience. 
civil disobedience at the time when he wrote it the context was um, Mexican-American war 1846 to 1848 Thoreau was very bugged with the war he argued that that was actually the first war in which a US president was accused of lying in order to start a war there was it was kind of controversial and Thoreau was clearly against it he was very anti-war in that scenario he thought it was a bad idea and part of civil disobedience is laying out an argument for the notion that it's okay to rebel without violence, to engage in non-violent forms of protest against a government that doesn't represent you. And so in this case, he just refused to pay taxes. He said the taxes are going to be used by the government to finance the Mexican-American war. I'm against it, so I don't pay. That argument didn't fly incredibly well with the local tax collector, so off to jail Thoreau goes and you know Thoreau marches in jail very you know sure of his convictions and uh, I'm not going you know I'm gonna stay here as a martyr for the cause type of thing and he sent and a u and t how do you say not a tiny bug as and. in um, okay good or aunt yeah whatever it's uh, but yeah whatever that thing is some female relative of um, your mama's sister right she uh she shows up at the jail she's like oh david really come on or oh henry since he has two first names whatever he she decided to pick do we really have to do this yes it's my principles and he's like yeah okay fine so she paid taxes for him and they let him out the next day so his career as a political martyr lasted a whole day in jail and you know civil disobedience sell all right but it's not exactly a big bestseller it's uh, by the time Thoreau dies he thinks that he I don't know how he's thinking but he's not thinking that that was uh, had a huge impact on human history that's for sure because it didn't you know in his lifetime he just simply didn't but here is what happened fast forward about half a century and in the early 1900s Gandhi the Asian Indian leader reads Thoreau civil disobedience and borrows some of this concept as an inspiration to start his movement of non-violent protests that will lead eventually to India becoming decolonized by the British and successfully kick out British colonization and pave the way for an independent India. So in itself, just right there, um there would be an enormous impact on human history but it doesn't even end there because then martin luther king will read thoreau and will read gandhi borrowing from both of those guys will apply a lot of these ideas to the civil rights movement there's the quote in martin luther king's autobiography that say during my early college days i read thoreau essay on civil disobedience i became convinced that non-cooperation with evil is as much a moral obligation as cooperation with good. And then, you know, he basically goes on to credit the civil disobedience for giving him the idea of non-violent resistance, and then goes on to write, no other person has been more eloquent and passionate in getting this idea across than Henry David Thoreau. As a result of his writings and personal witness, we are the heirs of a legacy of creative protest. The teachings of Thoreau came alive in our civil rights movement. Indeed, they are more alive than ever before. I mean, think of what a weird mind trip that is. It's like the teaching... 
A black guy in the middle of the 1900s write about the teachings of Thoreau came alive in our civil rights movement. A guy who a hundred years before, or almost a hundred years before, by the time he died, thought that his writings, specifically civil disobedience, had been read by, I don't know, 2,000 people or something. Maybe that was it. Time, yeah. And, you know, no impact. It becomes a huge inspiration for Indian independence, becomes a huge inspiration for the civil rights movement. Yeah. Nelson Mandela. Yeah, talk about dropping pebbles in the pond and you have no idea how far the ripples go. You know, it's, it's something that you can't really measure even within your own lifetime. You have no idea whether the pebble you have tossed, how far it can reach. The beauty of uh, writing or recording or videos or anything that basically paintings, can live on paintings forever. Paintings are a good example too where right. so many masters were like shunned. Yep. When they were doing it, like, what is this garbage? You're, are you kidding me? Long after they're dead, it's amazing. Are those sunflowers I'm looking at? What the hell is that weird thing? It's yeah. like, yeah, totally. And then you end up um, having an impact down the road in history. So that, I guess, is the closest that a human being can come to immortality, is having something you've done take new life into somebody else's decades after it's all done and over with. I've always thought that's why everybody wants to write a song or make a movie or they want to have some little f fingerprint that might even for 50 years after you're gone yep. oh this cat did that and then the amazing ones that go on for decades, centuries. Absolutely. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I, did not, I did not know that. I never even put that together that there was the exact same pamphlet that turned into probably one of the most effective means of demonstration because it sure is hard for them to, I mean, not impossible, obviously, to mow you down with a water cannon when you guys are just sitting there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's it's wild when you think about it. White guy in the middle of 1800s and has an impact on India, has an impact on African-American organizations in the civil rights movement. It's just, it's crazy how it all works out. And now, granted, it's not taking word by word exactly as Thoreau put it. It's an inspiration that other people then creatively readapt and modify and make their own thing in the process. It's a great it's an awesome in a way inspiring story about how odd history can be and how it can work out. That might be one of my favorite story times yet. Yay. Brought to you by Sure Design T shirts. Coming soon the robot factor. Don't worry. Every little thing is gonna be alright. That's a good one. Can I give you a kiss? You know, there's nothing more terrifying than raising a daughter. So, with that in mind, here's this week's Isabella moment. Well, using your as a good segue, one interesting announcement that came to me recently thanks to my four-year-old, was, I have a boyfriend. Oh. I was like, huh? Who's that? The answer I got was even weirder. With no hesitation or no issue, the answer to uh, who's your boyfriend was Bob Marley. Oh, okay. So, so apparently Bob is high on the list for uh, my son-in-law. In any case, yes. There may be some issues with that down the road a little bit. Yeah, dating dead people is usually frowned upon, at least in a... Dead folks, as we've learned through the years, uh, are only good for testifying uh, in court when you dig them up and put them on trial. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. the zombie pop. Yes, yes, of course. <laughs> How could I forget such a reference? The, the tale of the zombie pop, yeah. 
Now, on another front, when, uh, even before I had Isabella, I thought if I ever have a daughter, all this crap I see all around me of everybody who has daughters where everything is pink, hell no. I hate freaking pink. I vow never to get pink stuff from my daughter. It's just not going to happen. Absolutely you know? not. Except that through no fault of my own, I sh- I never introduce pink just willingly, mm-hmm. but somehow, hey, maybe there is such a thing as DNA there. Found it, isn't it? Who the hell knows how pink is what it's all about? Everything has to be, I think I told you guys last time of uh, Arthur Rosenfeld, a very martial macho sculpture, how Isabella wanted to turn it pink. She looked at, a few days ago, I was wearing my badass, tough looking black leather jacket and she say oh i like it but we should paint it pink i'm like ah you know then she informed me that we should proceed to catch some of the squirrels that are roaming around in the yard and paint them pink they'll appreciate that yes i'm sure and before you know it she went on this old rant of how this thing has to become pink this thing has to become pink and then with joyous match it had we're gonna make the whole world pink and i was like Jesus, how did things get so far? Isn't that funny? We tried the same sort of trick, you know, a lot of neutral greens and yellows. Yeah. And let them be who they want to be. They gravitate right to it. What the, What's wrong? Why? I don't know. It's girl stuff. I can't explain any of that. Yeah, if there's it's... one thing I will truly am sure of is I have no idea what's going on in there. Very mysterious, in any case. Wonderfully mysterious. Under the, the wisdom of Isabella's part, I don't remember who posed this question but Isabella was going off about manly muscles just because probably it may have nothing to do with the fact that for five hours every day I flex in front of a mirror and go man those manly muscles are awesome so I'm sure there's no connection with that but um, somebody asked her because she kept bringing it up and it's kind of a funny sentence manly muscle on a four-year-old somebody said so how can I get manly muscles her answers her answer was, drink lots of wine and you'll get manly muscles. That easy, folks. There you have it. I was like, beautiful. Wow. That can be done. What if it was that easy? Can you imagine the drunk muscle heads that would be rolling around? Yeah, there would be people with some <laughs> crazy six packs even in Giant the year. red noses to yes. go with them. Just. Yeah. <laughs> So you know what to do? Well, try. I mean, there, everybody has an advice regarding your workout routines. You might as well try one more. See well, you if definitely after, have one arm that would really be okay. That's know? right. That and lifting drinking. off the glass back in Because it'd have to be a big manly goblet almost. You know, a 47-pound yeah. drinking goblet. Oh, more muscles now. Delicious. We could start a whole workout routine, the drunken workout routine, where it's like rather than swinging a kettlebell, you're swinging this gigantic goblet full of wine. And you're say like, it's Australian day. We're doing giant oil cans of Fosters, but they're real oil cans oh that's the way to go Very i like nice. it beautiful <laughs> that's the isabella moment Now, without too much jazzy, groovy, uh, get this to the end music, here we are for the closing portion. And I think we have a few uh, of you awesome folks that dropped a few donations our way. Sure. Let's start Because bandwidth uh, ain't cheap, folks. 
yeah no it's it's funny it's the mixed blessing of podcasting is the better you do in terms of reaching a bigger audience the more you have to pay in terms of bandwidth and you know it's crazy it's like uh dan carlin who has an insane level of audience drops ton of money every month oh, man, yeah we're not at that level but we're definitely paying more than when we started so and we haven't been attacked by the um patent trolls yet either right those son of a bitches that are after all of us so but the, um, the gentle folks who help us pay the bills this month. Let the pottering begin. We have Colin Duffy, who for the second time is very generous with us. He did it around the same time last year, so it must be a yearly ritual that we deeply appreciate. <laughs> and uh, wants credit to be given to 100 everyday angels. So that's where it goes. We have, uh, among our repeat folks, Frederico Faro from Brazil. Thank you so much. Jess Moore. Emmanuel Papadopoulos, which the name sound very Greek, but he's actually donating from Sweden. So the wonders of European migration. Uh, Emmanuel Papadopoulos. Yeah, that's a really Greek name. Harrison Todd from the UK. Stephen Sur... Uh, I'm gonna, I know I was going to scrub somebody's name. Well, of Stephen, course, that's what we're hoping yes, for. Yes, Stephen Sur in advance is... I want to say surgeon, but he's not surgeon, he's surgeoner, something like that. So thank you so much. And Blair Jordan, who tossed us a couple of bucks right before I we started recording this episode. So awesome. Timely. Thank you guys so much. Also among some of the other people who are... There's uh, Kevin Ryan sent me in this book that he wrote, uh, The Illustrated Guide to Snowboarding. So I'll try to dig. I think it's an Amazon. I'm not sure if it's an Amazon. I'll try to put a link in the episode notes. If you guys are in snowboarding, he's a fellow drunken Taoist listener. So that may be worth checking out. And speaking of fellow drunken Taoist listeners, I have... uh, Oh, man, I forgot to write your name. Sorry, man. I have... uh, But I'll put a link in the episode notes because... one of our listeners did, um, not too long ago, there was in LA somebody who put this marriage proposal up in the sky right about the time that uh, Obama was coming in, so they were going to shut down all the flights for a little bit. He managed to squeeze it in right before writing into the sky this marriage proposal. They went crazy on the web, they featured it on TV and all of that, and uh, the good man is a drunken Taoist listener, so we'll put... Uh, he was actually trying to reach one of the photographers who took picture of the whole thing because they had some really awesome image, but um, he didn't get them all and he didn't know who the photographer was. So I'm going to put a link in the episode notes to his YouTube page once they put up the video of it and, uh, you know, may help also find the photographer who shot the whole thing. Other thing that we should mention, thank you to Daisy House Music for the soundtrack, as usual. The um, people who have asked regarding the um, Taoist lecture series that I promised forever and never delivered, I will deliver. It's I do promise. I didn't promise how long it would take. I just said I would do it, and I am doing it right now. I've recorded about five of the 16 lectures. They're all going to be roughly between... Each one of them is going to be like 20 to 45 minutes, give or take, and um, we are going to, I'm probably going, we're going to put up one as a freebie, as a drunken Taoist bonus at some point, and then we'll um, sell the others relatively cheap in any case. On um, I'm not sure yet if we'll do iTunes or if we'll do it just through our website. I still need to figure out the details right now. I'm just worrying about content. 
but that's getting wrapped up so i'm hoping in a couple of months it's all done and over with and uh, it will be available to you guys so those of you who have been demanding a more DAO specific content that's what it's all about they're great i've heard a couple of them guys and you're really gonna like them so i'm looking forward to letting everybody check that out for sure yay i shed a tear in gratitude that yay. was sweet and uh, as usual if you guys can't donate or you're don't shop on amazon or any of that stuff or maybe if you do but you have extra if you can uh, review us on itunes that would be very sweet um also somebody just i just saw this notice that somebody nominated us for the teacher awards uh, i'll put a link out there i didn't really get to check out what the whole deal is if there's a deadline or not or all of that but i'll put it in the episode notes just in case if you guys can check that out worst case we'll chase them down next year yes anything else we need to cover as always uh kiva.org everybody it's uh team drunken taoist is now responsible for over three thousand dollars of loans out to the world so it's a cool thing guys helping folks out that are definitely less fortunate and uh, as always paid back at a rate of 98 percent, which probably outdoes most anything in this world that's wild and uh you know they're always appreciative when you do finish a loan or they finish one up they always get a letter um thanking you for what you did from the folks that you helped out so that's brilliant uh, a little late for kiva cards for christmas but you know just go ahead and do it the, the the free offer has kind of dried up for now but that'll probably pop back up as we get into spring usually so many kiva cards go out around the holiday seasons that they have no problem filling loans till about march right but then it'll start slacking up again, and we'll jump back on with that as soon as it's available. But you can always go to Kiva.org and sign yourself up, and then uh, just click the Drunken Dallas when it asks for if you want to do an affiliation with somebody. And there we are. There's a hundred of us there waiting for you. Beautiful. You guys have a wonderful day. And so ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as soon as they come out. You can keep track of Daniel at dbolelli. That's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. And you can find me on Twitter at Richimon1. That's R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N, the numeral one. See y'all soon. Duncan showed you the way, yeah? Oh, man, isn't that scary to think? Nice. Get back to work!